Well, we were at the time in our church, we're in the time of the church year where we're talking about Lent. And it's the season of 40 days from Ash Wednesday until the Saturday before Easter. And it doesn't count Sundays, but it's that 40-day time period that we're preparing our hearts and our lives really for the resurrection, really for to look at um, Easter Sunday. It's hard to understand totally what went on with Easter Sunday if we don't understand how it was for Jesus as he faced that time, as he walked that walk to Jerusalem. Um, it's very hard to understand the importance of Easter if you don't understand Maundy Thursday and what he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane, what he went through on the cross. You know, he was laid in the tomb and then resurrected on the third day. Uh, Doug has come up with the title of The Divergent Jesus, and I will confess I have not seen the movie. Um, But I did look up Divergent, and he kind of explained that last week as well. But it is doing something that's different than than the expected. And so there are many, many definitions, but that is one of them. So it comes to a point where everybody maybe expects one thing and you choose another thing. And so certainly that was the case when Jesus was in the days before he went to the cross. He was telling his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem, and they didn't want to do that because there had been conflict there. And because he had had uh, maybe enthusiastic conversations, you might want to say, with the religious leaders, there had been a lot of conflict. Jesus didn't tend to have conflict with sinners. He didn't tend to have conflict so much with his disciples or the ordinary people, but the religious leaders who put... Uh, weight on the people spiritually that they, they really could never fulfill, he had problems with them. And so they really didn't want to go to Jerusalem. And so if you look in every passage in the Gospels concerning this, it talks about how they can't believe he's wanting to do that. And why would you want to go to Jerusalem? And why would you do that? Uh, it even talks about when Jesus, he says to them several times, not just once, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to sinful men, you know, they will hurt me, they, they will, you know, all the things they did, they're going to put me on a cross, I will die, and on the third day, I will be raised again. And the disciples didn't get it. It says they didn't understand what he was saying, or they couldn't figure it out, or they were afraid. They were looking for a political king. Their whole mindset, regardless of what he said, their whole mindset when he was with them was, we need a political king. We need somebody that's going to run the Romans out, that will, that will restore the land to Israel, restore the land to us, and that's what they were looking for. So when Jesus began to say, we're going to Jerusalem, and I, I will suffer, and I will be rejected, and I will be killed, that is absolutely different than what they wanted to hear. Have you ever heard news you just didn't want to hear? Or somebody told you something and you're just like, you know, not going there. Maybe it is something more significant than a football score or whatever. But, you know, I mean, sometimes there are things we hear and we can't quite, we don't want to receive it. We don't like that. We don't want to do that. So during this time period, as they are going up to Jerusalem and they were walking, there were not, you know, whatever would be her vehicle of choice today, but they were walking, and, and he would ask them things. There's one time, you know, he had poured his life into them, and he had, had, you know, ministered to children and to women, where if you want to do a sermon on divergence, there are a lot of different things, but how he treated women, how he emphasized ministry to children, all those things were huge in his day. They were a big deal. Um, he asked the question, they were walking on the road, and he said, what were you discussing a while ago as, as we were walking? 
And they got very quiet because they had been discussing who was the greatest, which of course is, I guess, is what every leader wants to hear, you know, from his followers kind of thing. Who's the best? You know, and I'm, I'm guessing part of the conversation was some of them telling others, you're not the boss of me, which is very helpful, you know, and these are adults or semi-adults or whatever. And then, you know, he's saying, okay, if you're going to be like me, you're going to be a servant to everyone which no one had been a servant real high on their list of things as far as becoming political rulers. You know, just wasn't what they wanted to do. And then there's the passage where it talks about James and John asking him, can we sit on your left and your right when you come into your power? And they're thinking earthly kingdom. And he is like, really? You know, and all the disciples are like, really? Are you really going there? Jesus faced hard things. He set his face to go to Jerusalem, the scripture says, And that actually is from a passage in Isaiah where it talks about how he would set his face like flint. He knew what it was going to be. It's not like he was thinking, well, I'll get there and we'll negotiate or I'll get there and we'll do whatever. Or he he knew what it was going to be. And what we have to understand is that was the whole point of him coming. That was the whole point of baby Jesus being born in the manger and all of that. Going to the cross, otherwise we don't have a savior. So the cross and the resurrection was the whole point of him being here. The, the, at times, radical teachings that he did that were just uh, incredibly liberating for people of how you treat each other and what you're to do and how you're to live and all that kind of thing is so important. There are multiple examples in Scripture where leaders or different people um, faced hard things. Paul decided to go to Rome. He knew he was going to be executed there. He knew he was going to be a martyr, and yet Paul set his face to go to Rome. He wanted to uh, go and and speak there in Rome, and so many, many of the books of the New Testament were written as he was in jail, or he was under house arrest, or different things. I mean, certainly he made the missionary journeys, but he did hard things. Uh, You look at the story of Daniel in Scripture, you know, the whole lion den thing, and then the whole, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and and all of that. They faced hard things. They saw what it was and they faced it. The story of David facing Goliath. There's a point in that story, and and we don't know how young David was exactly. Uh, We know he was was too young to go off to war like the other, his three older brothers. But the story of David and Goliath, an important point, I think, in that passage is he ran to the battle. He faced it. And interestingly enough, Goliath, I don't know how many nine-foot giants you have in your life, but um, Goliath, you know, he was the tallest of all the warriors of the Philistines. Well, the tallest of all the warriors of the Israelis was Saul. They picked him because of his height and how he looked, and Saul wasn't going out to fight Goliath. It was David. And we know the story. We know what happened there. And I'm wondering, did David think, okay, maybe this is the height of what I have to do? Maybe this is the biggest thing I have to do. And yet it wasn't at all. For Goliath was really just the beginning of things that David would have to deal with and David would have to face. And some of those he faced successfully, some not so much. Um, We need to understand that sometimes when we get past a big thing in our life, it doesn't mean, okay, everything else is just going to be easy. Everything else is just going to be no problems. Basically, we live in an incredibly fallen world, and we have to deal with things that are not easy sometimes or that we get news we don't want to deal with. 
when David was being pursued by Saul, who was crazy King Saul. Saul had just kind of gone, oh, crazy. And he decided he was going to chase David and kill him. And David was trying to, you know, avoid the conflict and that kind of thing. And it talked about men coming to him to be a part of his army. And one group, it talked about men who understood the times and knew what to do. And while I understand that that applied to that situation with David as he was facing Saul, I think that is something that we need to pray about in every situation we face, that we would understand the times and know what to do. And ask God on what, on, when we don't know what to do. There are always going to be difficult times and difficult situations. In Lent, it, it's part of the time is for us to pray and um, repent before the Lord. And if there are things that um, are an issue that we need to deal with or sin or whatever, to lay that down before him. Lent's an important time. When we go through difficult times or situations, I think the most critical thing for all of us, and myself included, is that when something is hard, you have to face it. It doesn't help if you play peekaboo or whatever, you know? It, it's not going to go away. Typically, it's not going to go away. I worked for a pastor at another church, um, Hillcrest Church, and he commented, he said, usually, you know, when you have problems, you're going to have to deal with it at some point. And usually it just gets worse as it goes along, so you're going to have to face it. may not mean you take action right then, but you face it. Um, when something ends, sometimes it's a situation where we're in grief. When something ends, we grieve. When loved ones die, we grieve. When a situation doesn't turn out as we expected it to, there is grief. That's just, that's just part of it. There is grief. But still, you have to face it. Denial, pretending like something is not a problem or that something doesn't exist, in my opinion, denial can lead to deception. If you just deny there's a problem, deny it. You know, whether it's a situation in your family or a situation with your work or school or whatever, if you walk in denial, um, it can lead to deception because you form your own reality. You, you kind of make your own boundaries. The problem is most of the world doesn't follow those boundaries. Doug talked last week about hearing the voice of God. And that's a very important thing in all of this, in asking God, what are we supposed to do and how do we do it? What, you know, how are we a part of that? And I don't have a massive list. I mean, there's plenty of books. I mean, there, all that kind of stuff to read. But I think in remembering about hearing the voice of God, I think we have to remember that we are subjective. That, that yes, it's important to ask God about different things and it's important in prayer to ask, but realize our filter can affect sometimes what's being said. And sometimes we don't like what's being said. I mean, I've been in there where I felt like the Lord was telling me something and I was just kind of like, that can't be right. Of course, I'm smarter than him, right? Um, We don't want to receive it. Or we're thinking, okay, I didn't hear that right or whatever. Several things to think about just, just in this process, just for you to consider, not trying to say, you know, this is the complete list. But I think it's critical as we are praying, we don't tell God what to do. You know, there was a a passage this week in Jesus' uh, calling that talked about, you know, if instead of telling me what to do, if you would would discern what I'm doing and get in the flow of it. You know, if we would be obedient in that, that's huge. We ask God, Lord, please help me. Lord, we need healing here. Lord, give me direction here. Lord, I don't know what to do. Um... I think when you get a word from someone, or if you have a word for someone, you always weigh it. 
you always look at scripture. You, you may be talking to someone or someone gives you a word. It's very important to weigh it and determine. You don't have to receive every single thing that comes down the road. Discern, try to decide what's going on. I think it's always a very de- dangerous situation when people say, God told me to tell you. That, man, that makes me nervous, you know, because that's never happened to me before. But um, we, we attended Cockrell Hill United Methodist Church, a little tiny church in Oak Cliff. And it was Jack Gray's last church before he went into evangelism. In, um, at, he actually went to Tyler Street, United Methodist Church, and had offices there. And it was a great church. Uh, but then other pastors came and that kind of stuff. And some, you know, well, anyway, um, y'all kind of get the drift. It, it, did not, it was not as strong as the times when Jack was there, as y'all might be able to imagine. And so there was a pastor who came, and he was really good at saying, God told me to tell you. And um, one day on a snow day, he called some of the youth. You know, snow day, and I don't know how the youth over here feel, but man, snow days, you're just like, thank you, Jesus. I get to stay home and watch TV or whatever I want to do. Of course, teachers, nobody is looking at the screen of the TV more or the computer more than any teacher on a snow day. I promise. I promise. Every teacher in the room knows how many days till spring break. Am I right? You know? All right. So... The preacher calls him, what do you say to the preacher? And to my brother, who was a teenager, he wanted them to come cut down a tree in his front yard in the snow. I mean, do you normally cut down trees in the snow? And it was God told me to tell you. And when you're 13, it's kind of hard to go, did not, you know? So, you know, that's spiritual abuse. You know, if you want to have a category for stuff like that, that's spiritual. Bringing God into something that you just want somebody to do, and you're putting a spiritual spin on it. Anytime there is that type of thing. Now, someone may say, I have a word for you, or I'm really feeling this. What do you think? Or would you pray about this with me? Whatever is important. I think the most powerful thing we can do with trying to hear the voice of God is asking for his help. Because I don't know how you are, but I tend to be a fix-it person. And y'all are too, you're just being quiet. But, you know, we want to fix it. And sometimes we can't. And only God can bring healing to the hearts he has created. Right? Only God can bring healing. Sometimes our greatest prayer is, God, I need you. I need you. As we seek God and as we um, try to discern different things, I want to share a story something that that I was involved in a number of years ago, long before many of you were born. And, of course, I was quite young. Um, That's a joke. Um, I was the... I was the minister of education before Cindy J was the minister of education. And so this was years ago, uh, about 32 years ago. And there was a man in the church, a family in the church. They were very active and, uh, well, pretty active and loved the Lord, had grown children, grandchildren, all that kind of stuff at the church. And so he had been sick kind of off and on for over a year and thought he had problems that were heart problems. And he would go to the doctor and they would say, your heart is fine. Now, I went to nursing school many more years ago at Baylor School of Nursing, and one of the things they say is that I'd written in notes was when people have heart pain, it can also be gallbladder, it can also be a hernia, and so you always look at those things. Uh, well, he went several times, would go to the ER, all that kind of stuff, you're fine. Well, that happened on a Sunday, and he got on a flight to go to Kentucky. He was sales, he was very successful in his business, and went to do a business meeting in Kentucky. And in Kentucky, in a hotel room by himself, he got very, very ill, and it wound up being his gallbladder. 
and he evidently passed a stone or released a stone or whatever that hit his pancreas. And, his, and he became very, very sick. And his daughter assisted me in children's ministry and all that kind of stuff. And, and so everybody was praying, the church prayed, all that kind of stuff. And what I felt, and, and this isn't the kind of stuff you like to share, okay? I mean, we always want to share the stuff where, you know, God said this and God did this and everybody goes, yes. But I really felt like the Lord was saying he was going to take him home. And I was kind of like, I don't want to hear that. You know, which, of course, you know, God needs to listen to me, right? So, you know, it's like I've, I kept fe- feeling that. And I felt like he was saying, you need to talk to them about that. And I was just like, I don't want, because they didn't want to hear that, right? And so he was very sick. He was in the ICU in Kentucky, and then they hired a plane to drive him, not driving fly, planes don't drive usually, um, Flew him here in a medical plane that cost more than $5, as you might imagine, for that flight. And then he was at uh, Presbyterian Dallas. And he was in ICU for 13 weeks. And his wife really, she was, I would call her like a baby Christian, but, but boy, she was praying because she didn't want her husband to die. And everybody gets that. And his daughter was, you know, praying and, you know, they were kind of like, he's going to be healed, you know. And yet... It, he just kept getting worse. And I kept my mouth shut. And I was wrong. Really wrong. And one day I was sitting with him in the ICU waiting room there at, at uh, Presbyterian Hospital. And he was not, I mean, he was sick. The guy was sick. And they did several surgeries, but you involve the pancreas. And when it gets to a certain point, it's a problem. And so he... Um, a young man was there that his father had been in ICU and his father was getting better so they were moving to another floor but he was a Christian and he came through the doors and he said, um, I just feel really strongly that I need to say that, that I feel like uh, your husband, your father is going home, that he's going to go be with the Lord. And of course, they didn't like the news um, and he was very gentle, he was very kind. He said, I know this is not what you want to hear. But he said, that's sort of what I feel. Now, this was several weeks into it. And I was sitting there going, you know, I was supposed to do that, and God found somebody else to come and do it. And so as time went on, I was able to talk to them some. I did, you know, kind of talk a little bit, and, and okay, what if it's this situation? And I did do that. But he did go to be with the Lord. And I don't think that was lack of faith. I don't think, and I don't get it when, when God calls someone home and we're thinking, okay, you know, what's up with that God? And yet we so forget the power of the resurrection, you know? We so forget about heaven and eternity and, and how short this time is versus the time we will have with him. And I will tell you, in my relationship with God and seek, and man, I repented. I mean, I was on my face because I knew I had willingly disobeyed. It wasn't just a, I didn't understand. It was, I just was a chicken. And when God sometimes gives words, you have to be able, you know, you're not just trying to do a zinger for somebody, but am I going to be more concerned about what God is saying or the, or the, Feelings of my friends who want their husband and father to live and all of that. Um, I just say all that to say it was a long time 
And I don't think God was going, you are in timeout, you know? I mean, I don't think it was that, but it was a long time, and I really had to weigh all of that. And I remember one day sitting in my office over on Pearl Street. We, there was a house where we had offices, um, and I was reading about healing and all of that. Because, you know, you want to, I mean, we're called to pray for people to be healed. We're called for that. Um, and one of the things that this article, in this article it said, don't promise what you can't guarantee. And, you know, healing's not in my hand. Last time I checked, I wasn't Jesus, you know? I mean, healing's not in my hand. Am I supposed to pray? Yes, I am. But there are things that we have to trust God with. And there are things, even if they're hard, death isn't the end. It's not the end. And it's because Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. It's because he went to the cross and knew far more pain than any movie can show us. Isaiah says he was beyond recognition. They beat him so badly. I mean, we don't have a clue about that kind of stuff. It's because of the cross and because of the resurrection from the dead that death does not have the final say. My son put up a post this week that reminded me of the 21 martyrs, Coptic Christians who were martyred a year ago the day after Valentine's Day. I had not remembered Robert is good at remembering uh, lots of things. If y'all have a question, ask Robert. Um, but, but read this post. And it's from a pastor in Indiana. And he posted this the day after a year ago. Quoting a pastor named Cade Campbell from Indiana. They bowed and braced their heads for martyrdom's painful blow. Then they raised them up bearing victor's golden crowns. They open eyes to find themselves kneeling before Christ, clothed in white robes, dipped in blood, not their own. Oh, that there might be an Isis Saul, standing with cloaks at his feet. May God seize him to transform the Arab world. What happened on that beach in Libya is not the end. We don't see what happened when they went to be with the Lord. But God will take things like that and redeem and restore and, and bring about amazing, amazing things. Several things just in thinking in general. I think it's important to know the season you're in. And this does not have to do with age. And I know that I've said that before. I know y'all are thinking, you know, you need to go back to your old sermons because, yes, you've said that before. But so often people don't get it. And we kind of dictate what we want versus where we are. And it doesn't mean when you're a baby you're in spring and then it's summer and then fall and winter and that kind of thing. I mean, certainly that can apply. But I have known people that that were older in age that had amazing fruit in their lives. And God is redeeming and restoring in all of that. Knowing the season we're in is so important. Knowing what is God doing versus what do we want him to do in a situation. And sometimes it's looking really practically at that. In praying for the church and praying for situations um, that we're involved in. And, and sometimes when I get things, it's, it's just practical. you know. And it's not always these and thous and all that kind of stuff. But, but a couple of weeks ago, what I kept getting was keep your eye on the ball. That's what I kept getting in prayer. 
Now, some of you are going to say, Texas Rangers are about to go to spring training. Um, and Lauren loves the Rangers, you know, and the catchers and pitchers have already, you know. I grew up between two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother. And if you didn't know sports, you were just, you know, well, worthless comes to mind. But, you know, I mean, you had to learn that kind of stuff. And that is a phrase you often hear in playing sports. I mean, maybe not frisbee golf or whatever, but, you know, basically, keep your eye on the ball. And I think that means what is the main thing and how do we pursue it? What is the main thing? And we set our face to that. We set our face to that. couple of thoughts. Um, this came to me in the night, so if it's wrong... Y'all weigh it, right? Um, just kidding. Kind of, sort of. Um, we're almost through, and I'm ahead of time, so, you know, this is good. Um, I was on the very first school board for Carrollton Christian Academy. It was in 1984, and when they started the first first grade, um, it, that was not without conflict. <laughs> I was in some education meetings. I was uh, Cindy J. at that point, too, and... Um, meetings were um, lively, maybe is a good word to say, as we were trying to start the first first grade. And Marilyn Headley was the teacher for that group, and they had, I think, about 17 kids. And um, the, the school grew from there. And y'all know there, there have been different comments about the school and that kind of thing and things going on. And it's a huge time to pray. It's a huge time to pray. On Sunday mornings, if I'm not, uh, during Sunday school, often I try to walk the halls and just, Lord, you're best. Lord, you're best for CCA. God, give us wisdom. You know, Lord, show us, you know, what you're wanting to do for the families, for the kids, for the teachers, for all of that. What came to me in the night um, was that, that we focus on the fruit. And I don't know what's going to happen with CCA. I don't know how that's going to end up. But think of the gospel that has been sown in so many lives across the years. And part of keeping our eye on the ball is that what is sown in faithfulness, it's up to God to bring the harvest. I taught uh, there for 10 years. And first year that I taught, it was the hardest thing I've done ever, ever, ever. I'm hoping that's my Goliath, although I've had to face other things. But my last period class, seventh period class, had juniors. Of course, everybody wants to be in school at 2.30, right? You know, everybody wants to. Yes, yes. Um, Including teachers. I mean, teachers are like, when is the bell going to ring? And I had 27 kids in one class, and most of them were a train wreck. I mean, a bona fide A1 train wreck emotionally. And they were mad at God, or they were mad at Dad, or they were mad at Mom. They were mad at somebody. And they were real happy to see me. You know, and trying to help the scriptures connect when their mother lived in the same city as they were, maybe a couple of miles away, but would not see them, and she was not sick. You know, that young man was furious, and he behaved very well in Bible, as you might imagine. Just kidding. Just saying, and and for many of those young people, the pain they were going through was because of adult decisions that they had no control over. And we get it, life is complicated. And we get it, things are hard. But but part of what we do is we face the hard things. And so often in Bible, I would say to them, I get it, I get it, it wasn't fair. I get it. But what are you going to do with your life? How are you going to respond? So I don't think we get to control the difficult things that happen. I don't think we get to 
you know, I mean, we'd all, we grow when things are hard, right? When things are easy, when things are hard, we are like, oh God, we need you. The newsflash is we need him all the time. It's just when it's hard is when we're so aware of it. He is more than enough for whatever this church will face in the next days and months. And I don't mean that like I have a newsflash, but just in general, he is more than enough. He is more than enough for what's happening in your family right now. He is more than enough for situations where people are sick. And it may be they go home to be with the Lord. That's not punishment, you know? Several weeks ago, we had a service for uh, Harper Howard here. The church was pretty much full, about as full as it is now. And Dustin and Penny could have um, kept their situation very private and taken care of their child, but, but they sought a way to help her be better and to feel better, and to not have the pain that she had. And in doing that, they have helped hundreds of people. Scripture talks about that unless a wheat falls into the earth and basically dies, you know, there's not a harvest. The whole thing of of seed time and harvest. So wherever you are individually, whether it's a good season or a difficult season, he is more than enough. And if you're in a great time, that is awesome. But my newsflash to you is it may not last long. It's just the day we live in. The critical thing is would we be the people that understood the times and knew what to do? And in knowing what to do, it's not telling God what to do, but saying, Lord, what would you have us do? How would you have us be? God, what do you say about this? What do you say? Most of the world has not heard his name. But things like the 21 Coptic Christians, actually there were 21 Coptic Christians that had the, they have a tattoo on their wrist so they don't deny the faith. I mean, they do that when they're children. There was one man that was from Africa, I think from Ghana, and, and he was not a part, he was not a Coptic Christian. And those that the executioners were saying, you don't have to die with them. And what's reported is that he said, their God is my God. Oh, that we would be faithful, knowing that the end really isn't the end. And that he gives us grace. The battle with, with David and Goliath wasn't about how good David was with the slingshot. It was about the power of God right? So, Lord, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that whatever we face, good days or bad days or difficult days or things that are a challenge, you're more than enough. And even when things look tragic or difficult to understand, you still redeem and you still move. And we thank you that you are good, that you are a good, good father, and you order our days and you order our steps. So, oh Lord, we look to you. And I thank you for people in this congregation that understand the times and know what to do. We thank you, Lord, for your best. We thank you for discernment in situations that are complicated. We thank you. 
that you are Lord of all. You are Lord of all. And we thank you, Lord, for the word of God that has gone forth on this campus and, and in the education building, that the, that the word of God has gone forth. And we pray, Lord, for fruit that will abide. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.